The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well, it's a Monday, which means <laughs> it's time for... Hidden Yardage right here on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. I'm Mark Lane, joined by Sean Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. You can follow Sean at Sean Martin NFL. And Sean uh, Dallas, they they get away with one and edge the Houston Texans 27-23. Dak Prescott gets his first game-winning drive. And fourth quarter comeback of the 2022 campaign. And I got to ask you, was this the wake-up call that the Cowboys needed getting taken to the wire by a 110-1 team? Yeah, I sure hope so. I mean, we I almost feel to you know the nth percent, a very small percent, almost guilty for the way that we led up to this game, not only at blogging the boys, but just in general, like it seemed like everybody in Cowboys media for weeks now has been looking at the stretch of the schedule against the AFC South and saying, Oh, these games aren't really going to matter. So maybe they'll be close, but the Cowboys are going to win. And then we're going to set up this big matchup on Christmas Eve with the Eagles. But now that Eagles matchup is pretty much here. I mean, it's two weeks out. So now it's actually more legitimate to talk about that game, but, we have to pause and talk about how they almost fell into this trap against the Texans, which is much more important at the moment because even the Colts game was almost a bit of a trap for a while. I know, you know, looking back when we reflect on this season, the final score, you won't remember that that game was a potential trap, but you know, we all kind of dismissed the fact that any of these AFC South games could be a trap game. And yet through two of them, they both almost had their shortcomings of, you know, the Colts game was, close at the end of the third quarter and then this game was close until the final 40 seconds of the fourth quarter so yeah it's concerning and these games collectively need to be a wake-up call because now that Eagles game is here the Eagles did win by 20 again today against the Giants so yeah you do have to go sell a whole hell of a lot more against the Jaguars if you're going to take any confidence at all going into that Eagles game and you know not only that but they have to show that with a roster it's going to be a bit depleted they have some injuries to come out with from this game. So yeah, this needs to be a wake up call, but you know, big picture wise, I think we can't lose sight of the fact that this time last year, we were talking about an offense that, you know, going 98 yards was something that they were just completely incapable of this. You know, they, they got pinned down there twice, what they did in the fourth quarter of this game. It would have been good night 
lights out and this game is over. So, you know, there are some positives to still take from this game. We'll get into it. But I think the biggest one is, of course, like you said, Prescott being able to show that he can make the big throws when it wasn't his best day up until that point, lead that clutch 98-yard drive. And as long as you have that, I mean, you've at least mitigated the concern from last year where you limped into the playoffs because the offense was struggling so much. You know, the offense wasn't perfect today by any stretch against the Texans, but at least they showed that, you know, the overarching concern from last year where it just went stale and you never got it back and you weren't a threat in the playoffs because of it. You know, maybe you put that to bed with that 98-yard drive at the end. You at least had that to win the game, which you needed, and so that's how you get a gutty, you know, close closer than it should have been win against the 110 and one team. I don't think it's anybody's fault at blogging the boys because there is – a uh, partisan element to it, and people should, you know, fans should be able to look ahead. It's their job. Um, but the players and the coaches, they have to be focused on the task at hand. And I can tell you from looking at the transcripts that I saw throughout the week, uh, Mike McCarthy only talked about the Texans starting quarterback once he only talked about Levy Smith once he only talked about uh the rookie running back for the Texans once the rest of the time it's just well what did you think of Odell Beckham coming in and what, what what do you tell the team in a situation like this and all that kind of stuff and it just the focus was not on the Houston Texans it was really on what DeMar yeah, that stuff just seems to permeate and, you know, it seemed like it got into the building, like you said, and it really did if you have, you know, the proof that, you know, that's what they were talking about and it was and it really just permeated this week in terms of trying to lose that focus a little bit and, you know, we'll talk about the game that both coordinators call it as far as was Kevin Moore ready for this game? Was Dan Quinn having his defense as ready as he could have been for, for a guy like Damian Pierce who you didn't really prepare for or things like that? Like I said, I, I think they lost focus of just the task at hand and they may not have been looking two weeks from now to the Eagles they may have been looking next week to the Jaguars because they're really they're really more in the role of a spoiler um than you know the Texans are um so I think that again going back to last week's episode where I said if this Colts game were a Sunday at noon at AT&T Stadium, would they have played down to their level of competition? I mean, would this have been a trap game? I think the Texans game kind of proves that because it was the perfect example of that um, because it was noon, it was AT&T Stadium, they were at home for the – Second, third consecutive week, and it it they almost got lulled to sleep. Now I don't think it was, I don't think a blueprint came out against the Cowboys in this game because Houston really needed a lot of fortune. They really needed to slide into Lady Luck's DMs for them to have a chance in terms of Tremont Smith having those. <laughs> Two interceptions uh, for Cavante Turpin, who's been really reliable to muff a punt. There were a lot of unfortunate things that had to happen 
that Houston had to capitalize on, and they did. And so I think they got close, but like I was tweeting during the fourth quarter, bad teams like the Texans, they blow games. That's partly why they're bad. Great teams like people want the Cowboys to be find ways to not settle for a field goal and go to overtime, but score that go-ahead touchdown as they did when they got inside the red zone and just win the game. And so I think that in that regard, Dallas passed the test. Uh, In terms of uh, their grades on avoiding a trap game, I don't know that they did. And it may have come at a cost, too. It could have come at a potentially high cost. We'll await some updates on a lot of names that left this game. Dwayne Armstrong apparently got hurt in the last play of the game, that Hail Mary attempt. So that's very unfortunate there. The game is pretty much at hand. You just have to get through one more snap and the heave to the end zone that the Cowboys picked off and and then he apparently went down on that play, so that's a big one to keep an eye on for Dan Quinn's defense. Jake Ferguson, someone you have to watch as well as, you know, of course, Dalton Schultz came up with some huge catches in this game, but also still had some drops and things he's struggling with, and those things in Schultz's game have opened the door for a player like Ferguson to really have an important role, and so you want to continue to have him down the stretch of this season, so we'll see about that, and then probably none bigger than what seems like a pretty significant injury to starting right tackle Terrence Steele, which brings us back to a conversation we had weeks ago of trying to read between the lines of a really old Jerry Jones quote at this point, trying to hint that maybe Jason Peters all along was going to be the right tackle. Ended ended up not being the plan. We've seen the plan the last couple weeks has been to try to work in Tyler Smith at left guard, which means Peters at left tackle until Tyron Smith can come back. But now Peters could be your right tackle as he came in for Josh Ball in this game. And you still have to await, you know, the return of Tyron Smith, which is something that I think a lot of Cowboys fans not forgot about, but kind of just had in the back of their head in terms of something that could really help them this year. But now it's, you know, critical that they're going to have Tyron Smith potentially playing up to his normal self and recovering at the rate that he has, which has been so impressive to be able to pull off this offensive line switch late in the year and not only get the continuity going before the playoffs, but, you know, just feel confident about what you have in front of Dak Prescott. Yeah, let's go ahead and get into that. Would you go ahead and just slide Jason Peters over to right tackle? Because it does look like Steele is going to miss time. Um I I don't know that you'd roll Josh Ball out there, even though Stephen Jones likes to mention him as part of their depth at tackle. I mean, I would I would just roll Jason Peters out at right tackle and call it a day. Yeah, I think that's the only choice. You know, Peters there at the right tackle spot. I think we still remember his very first snap of the season on the Monday game against the Giants. It came at left guard, and he immediately got to the second level and sprung a big run. I forget if it was for Elliott or Pollard, but sprung a big run. And, you know, Terrence Steele has been really good at that at right tackle. You know, the first thing you ask your right tackle to do is, of course, hold up in pass protection. But I don't want to say an underrated part of Terrence Steele game Steele's game has also been the run blocking, but, you know, he really has been huge on those Tony Pollard sweeps and even the Elliott power runs behind Martin and Steele. The combination there has been so good on the ground. So you need that element, and I don't think Ball gives you that in the run game. 
And I certainly don't think he gives you, you know, enough trust in the pass protection element of his game right now to really play at all. So, yeah, you need Peters for both what he can do in pass pro, but I think you'll really see him not create a drop-off from what Terrence Steele was giving you in run blocking, and that's huge because, you know, you still need to get these runs going to the outside. And it was working so early in the game for him. You know, I, don't, I want to talk about why they got away from that and, you know, why – it seemed like it was such a struggle to keep the same consistency that the Cowboys came out with on offense, where it was just easy on the ground. It was powered to the outside and Elliott up the middle and then play action was happening so easily off of that. There was so much good to start this game for the Cowboys. And a lot of that was their outside running game. And I think Peters will make sure that that can still be a strength in this offense. Because it needs to be. They need to have that. And that might have saved the game, really. I know there's emphasis, and I put it on that too, of the game-winning drive, but how about the opening drive and just going down, posting seven points and putting the opposition in a 7 nothing hole to start the game? I mean, th- that to me is the strength of a good team like the Cowboys is their ability to take that opening drive and just get seven points out of it. And again, they were able to do it, like you said, with outside running with Tony Pollard, inside runs with Ezekiel Elliott, and then play action. And that went away when Josh Ball was in the game, when there was the Terrence Steele injury. So, yeah, I think that they've got to figure out how to shore that up. And now they'll really be tested to find the best five-man combination so that that run game continues to provide a uh, two-dimensional attack and gives Prescott protection. And I'm kind of excited to see the motivation for Jason Peters, you know, to play on a team that's still very much in contention. I know, you know, maybe some of the national talk shows are going to knock the Cowboys a bit this week, or they're going to say that we shouldn't take them as seriously anymore. But, you know, as we record this, I have the Bucks 49ers game on in the background. And, you know, if, if not the Cowboys, then, you know, you take your pick which horse you want to tie your wagon to in the NFC right now because Brock Purdy has the 49ers up 21 nothing in the first half against Tom Brady and the Bucks. So, you know, you go ahead and write off the Cowboys, but then tell me who you're taking ahead of them. So for a player like Peters, though, I know when he came in, a lot of his quotes in the interviews were about you know not really minding if he had a role that was actually on the field or not. He was embracing kind of being just a veteran teacher for Tyler Smith, but being ready to play when called on. But at this point, I think he wants to play. I mean, this is, a, again, this is a contending team. I still firmly believe that, like I just said. And, you know, what better way to play at the end of your career than on a team that you think can win a championship? So, yeah, I think the motivation there, you know, playing alongside another veteran guy in Zach Martin, who knows what these games are going to start to mean as well. So you know, I think that combination right there can really can really do a lot for you because it's a perfect situation for Peters, who has been sitting all season. He's only played in spurts, though, to really step in and, you know, play in a situation where you don't get many opportunities like this to play at the end of your career for a championship. And that's how he'll feel that he's stepping into. And, you know, he's protecting a franchise quarterback and one who just had a 98-yard game-winning drive. So, yeah, it could be, you know, you never want to see the injury to steal, but it could be a very good thing as far as the, the level of play that you're going to get from Jason Peters here. I think that's something to keep an eye on. Which is hilarious in this aspect because where does it bring the discussion of the O-line? Back to where it started. 
Tyler Smith versus Connor McGovern at left guard. <laughs> yeah. But something that I think Cowboys fans are really concerned about ahead of that discussion is just what's up with Dak? He's really kind of had he's had multi-pick games now um for the past 3 weeks and it just kind of has shades of last year's um I'm sorry he only had one against the Colts I apologize but it just has uh, the shades of last year during this time when it seemed like he was just barely getting by, but the defense was so ferocious and coming up with so many takeaways that you figured, well, that buys time for Dallas to get their offense under control or Kellen Moore's saving it for the playoffs and it just never manifested. Is Dak starting to hit that rut again? I actually think that I'm going to come out of this game higher on Dak Prescott's performance than most. He wasn't perfect by any stretch. It wasn't a great game. And by the way, as we're you know, giving updates on this 49ers game, Brock Purdy just threw another touchdown. It's 28 to nothing. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing for a topic we're going to get into in a minute here. But, you know, I think Prescott was kind of held back in this game by – you know, some shortcomings from Kellen Moore that we're familiar with, but that are fixable, of course. And, you know, they were fixable within this game so that you could get that game-winning drive going. But you know, I went back and looked at some of the play sequencing. And, again, to start the game, it was perfect. It was the same things we've been praising Moore for all season long. It was marrying the run concepts to the pass where it was a handoff to Pollard and then the next play was a fake and you move the pocket and it's an easy completion. I mean, it was all these things that just keep a defense, even good defenses that the Cowboys have played off balance. So if you can do that against really good defenses, I mean, you can just put the Texans in a blender because they haven't been in good defense all year long. And you know that, you know, as well as anybody. So you had them right where you wanted. And then the Turpin fumble, of course, changed a lot in this game. But even beyond that, you know, once you recovered from that, just the play calling just did not, stay where, you know, on that same level of aggressiveness or sequencing at all. It was, you know, just too much predictability and not really knowing, like, how to get out of, I guess, some of the base looks that maybe they were trying to emphasize this week because they knew they were going up against an inferior opponent. It almost goes back to my opening point of, like, did the media talk about looking ahead, permeate into the building enough where Kel Moore legitimately went into this game so overconfident that he thought he could just stay in, you know, base calls and and get this job and get the job done, and that was far from the case. But you look at the first and second down plays, where you want to set yourself up for either manageable throw downs or be moving the chains. There's first and second down snaps after Pollard's second touchdown, where the Cowboys only had two scoring drives, field goal drives at that. Between that, up until the last touchdown of 98 yards, and it went Elliott no gain, incomplete to Elliott, and you punted Elliott two yard gain, and then the interception. And then you look at the scoring drive after that for a field goal. He started with a pass, seven yard catch to Lamb, then Saltz eight yards, Brown seven yards, Gallup sixteen yards, Saltz twenty two yards on a third down. So you got it rolling, and but then you had the Dalton Saltz drop. So that drive could have been a touchdown, but two straight incompletions after that, and the steel injury happened after that. And and you settle for a Brett Maher field goal. Opening drive of the second half. Got the run game going once again, just like you did to start the game. First half, you ran it nine straight times. The only problem 
was Josh Ball going to be on the last run? And that was the fourth and goal stop. So Elliott gets stopped and you come up with no points. So that was a backbreaker there. But then you look at the other scoring drive, a field goal, Pollard, six-yard catch, incomplete to land. You come back, third and manageable. Prescott picks it up with his legs. Prescott runs again for four yards. Gallup, 24-yard catch. Saltz, five-yard catch. Paul, and then Pollard loses a couple yards, incomplete to Gallup. And that's why you settle for a field goal. But still, those drive starters were so crucial. And when you had them going, you at least got points out of it. You got the field goals that kept this game close. But you know, every other time, where it was just run to the line or incomplete pass, the screen game wasn't going. I felt like those were things that were taken out of Dak Prescott's control and was really just handicapped in this game by Kellen Moore at times. And, you know, we know that was a season-long storyline a year ago, and I don't think it's time to hit that same panic button yet and say it's going to be that way the rest of this year now because you did see Prescott still put together a game-winning drive in 98 yards. You can't overstate, you know, how much that means to the confidence of just him and his team and how much they trust him to be the quarterback of the ball in his, in his hands last. But before, between that, you know, we could have easily been talking about this game being the type of blowout that the spread predicted, that Cowboys fans predicted. Everybody thought it wasn't going to take a fourth quarter drive, but it did because of, you know, I think, in my opinion, just some latency by Kellen Moore that he's really going to have to address against the Jaguars and, and then the Eagles to follow. So you place this more at the feet of Kellen Moore. I do. I mean, Prescott had 39 attempts in this game. It's the most of the, of the season for him. The Cowboys are 9-18 and 18 when he has at least... 39 attempts in the game. Usually when he's dropping back this much, it's just the game's getting away. They're losing. You know, it's, it's cliche to say they need to run game. We all know that. But at the same time, it's true. Like, they need, they do need to run game. It was working for him earlier in the game, but just the sequencing and, you know, I thought this game kind of just slipped away from more. And whether for any number of reasons, whether it was the script just being too, you know, vanilla because they don't want to start showing too much, like you hand to that Eagles game and they got too cute, or they underestimated, you know, the personnel that the Texans had on defense with a guy like Jalen Petrie at safety, who was a guy who I really liked in the draft process, and he comes into Houston, got his hands on all kinds of balls and made plays in the secondary. So whatever the reasons for Kellen Moore to kind of have an underwhelming game, we know that's something that wouldn't be a first for him, and I think this was one that you can certainly say wasn't his best day. You know, maybe it's encouraging, though, that Prescott and the offense still found a way to win when it wasn't Moore's best day, because last year that was not the case at all. So we're, we're all trying to find reasons why this Cowboys team can be different, why they can break, you know, a 26-year playoff drought and all these big things. Maybe the reason, you know, is just that Prescott can elevate them more than he has in years past. And that's the silver lining from this is that they were able to ignite on the final drive because they were they'd experienced um, all those setbacks and everything, and it just seemed like they could do it against the you know last year in similar games, um, Cardinals game being one of them where they just experienced some, you know, problems throughout the game. But if they could just put together one good drive to win the game, all would be well. And they managed to pull it off. They did it against the Texans. And I think that that's the encouragement is that they were able to to come out of a funk that they now have a touchstone to show that they were able to come out of a funk, backed up at their own two-yard line, 
and went and scored a touchdown. Because you need those touchdowns throughout the season to just kind of prove that you've been here before and you've got it done before this offense, this personnel, this year. And I, I, I think that that will carry over for them in coming matchups. So, yeah, I, I think that it was really good for them. And uh, we'll, we'll have to see. I'm, I think people will still have their doubts until Christmas Eve. If yeah, I mean, I, I will be concerned if they don't put together a better full four-quarter performance against the Jaguars. You know, I'm not ready to say that this game was indicative of any kind of late-season side like you saw last year or any kind of big shortcomings because I just listed some positives for the offense. And defensively, too, I think you showed some new things against the run as far as DeMarcus Lawrence being able to scrape down the line. He was chasing down plays in the backside, which he's usually so good at, but he was able to do it more consistently in this game, I thought. So, yeah, we can go on and on about, you know, still trying to find the silver lining positives of this game. But, yeah, I think, you know, if they don't show a better full full game performance against the Jaguars, and it's a point of concern. The OBJ talk is going to be a little bit, if not a lot, quieter this week. It's, you know, doesn't seem to be impending there. You know, it's on the road to away from away from home now. That's another sense of urgency to have to go beat a team in their stadium. And, you know, a quarterback who can do some of the same lead option type of things that you struggled with a bit against today. You know, the Texans went to a Jeff Driscoll and gave the Cowboys some problems with the read option. What do you think Jalen Hurts is, you know, going to watch that tape and think when, when they come to town? So, but first you have to deal with Trevor Lawrence, like I said, and he does a lot of those things very well. So, it's a, you know, it's a three-game tune-up for that Eagles game. And, yeah, you've passed him so far to the point where there's some concern, but I'm not overly concerned at all. But you better go so you know, a full game performance against the Jaguars. I don't think that's any any doubt right there that you need to you need to show a whole lot better start in that game. The finish needs to be better. The focus needs to be better. Kellen Moore needs to call a better game. And if you get all that going against the Jaguars, and yeah, this season is certainly right on pace to be exactly where we thought it was before this game. And we'll be forgetting that, you know, victory Monday against the Texans was, was a little bit gloomier than usual. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Which leads to the next question. Would, how would you feel about this team going 
into Raymond James Stadium for the NFC wildcard and taking on Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Well, let's just say this about that game. The, the two teams that met in week one between the Bucs and the Cowboys, they don't exist anymore. I mean, in this new 17-game season, you're always going to be a different team throughout the year. And, you know, this is the time of the year where you want to show that you're a team that can contend as opposed to, you know, having to turn it on late. You want to start showing that consistency, and so that's why we're asking the Cowboys to look a lot better against the Jaguars next week so we can feel decent about the Eagles game. But, yeah, the teams I met in week one at AT&T Stadium, they don't exist. I mean, that Cowboys team certainly doesn't exist because the offense lost Dak Prescott in that game, and then we thought you know, they were going to continue playing poorly on offense because Prescott was then out of the lineup for multiple weeks, but instead – the season was, you know, saved in a way by Cooper Ross when he was able to still keep the offense going. And then since Prescott's been back, Sands, this Texans game, they've been one of the best offenses in the league. So that Cowboys team doesn't exist. And certainly the Buccaneers team that put you in that 0-1 hole and played such great defense and Brady was pretty surgical and all that, they don't exist. I mean, they, they are struggling. They're benefiting hard from being in such a weak division that's keeping them in it. But far the time is officially knocking for Tom Brady. I mean, it's just not working right now. I actually, you know, besides the fact he's undefeated against the Cowboys, yeah, I think you should welcome this matchup against Tampa Bay. And I say that because of the way Dak Prescott and this offense should be able to play against the Blitz. Because you think of um, Tampa Bay's defense, they're so Blitz-heavy at times. And with Todd Bowles calling the defense, and I think this offense is designed perfectly to exploit that. If they're prepared, you know, the offensive line needs to work out, you know, who's exactly going to be playing, of course, and then be on the same page to pick up these blitzes. But Prescott's been really good at replacing the blitz with the ball, which is something that we needed to see from him. And, you know, that's what Tom Brady has made a living on throughout his career. And it's now part of Prescott's game where you can just see, you know, these checkdowns to Pollard could be so effective against an aggressive defense or even Elliott or Dalton Schultz, Ferguson, any of the tight ends. And, you know, the quick game, the Gallup is starting to get going more. James Washington could be a factor by then. So, yeah, I think Cowboys offense versus Bucks defense, even though we all feel uneasy about the way the offense played against the Texans, by then, if they have it going, you know, you should welcome that matchup. And then Cowboys defense against Tom Brady, yeah, it's a challenge. But, you know, it's a challenge that Quinn should welcome. It's, they're not going to back down to anybody, this defense. And, you know, Parsons really probably had one of his quietest games of his career against the Texans. But you can expect more from him and, you know, that type of playoff matchup to amp it back up. So, yeah, you have a lot going for you in a potential rematch of the Bucks, But it all just comes down to how we see this team playing down the stretch because this Texans game could be a turning point of, you know, continuing to struggle against inferior teams, or it could be a wake up call to go play much better than the Bucks and then be favored in that matchup, even if it's on the road. If they play like they did today, they'll get beat by virtue of that's what happens when the other team has a top quarterback that's in, you know, controlling their offense. And I think you saw that happen in the Green Bay game, even though Dallas was leading by two touchdowns going into the fourth quarter. Um, but if Dallas plays a clean game and they don't have any turnovers and the offense is clicking, I don't know how they lose to Tampa Bay other than they shoot themselves in the foot. That's the only way I could see that. And the Bucks have found 
the Bucks have found no run game this season too. So like either it's going to be a giant eyesore against the Cowboys run defense if they let the Bucks, you know, wake up the run game in that matchup and that becomes a struggle, or you're going to be able to take them out of the run, hope and pray that the offense, you know, can also put that game pressure on, which is when they've been at their best. You know, Prescott throws a couple early touchdowns and the Bucks can't run it. Well, now you can tee off against Brady and that's been their best game plan. But when the offense comes out of the gate slowed and of course teams are encouraged to stay in it with the run more and try to stick with it and be more balanced. And, you know, against Brady, that's a tough spot to be in. So, you know, the pressure of that matchup does come down to the Cowboys offense against the Bucks defense, which feels ridiculous to say because you would say that, you know, it's on the defense to get the monkey off their back and beat Brady for the first time ever. But, you know, if the offense can put up points against the Tampa defense, that really hasn't been great and learn what they have to learn from that week one matchup where they got pretty much shut down by the same Bucks defense. And, you know, that's where you'll be favored in this matchup. The thing is, that's probably going to be the matchup for Dallas if they're a wild card because I don't think they're going to let Washington or New York wherever else is going to grab that seventh seed get ahead of Dallas so they're probably locked in at the five for Dallas and for Tampa Bay they're so horrendous as a division leader that they're going to have that four spot so I don't think Dallas is going to have a chance at, at San Francisco or Minnesota. So really it's either Dallas is a wild card and goes to Tampa Bay or they're a number one seed. That's basically it for their entry into the playoffs. And I think going to Tampa Bay would be your best shot. The way the team is comprised today, I think that Tampa Bay would be their best shot. Yeah, I mean, just considering what San Francisco is doing, you know, directly to Tampa Bay right now with Brock Purdy and Kyle Sanahan and the fact they already beat the Cowboys in the playoffs last season. With Debo Samuel out too. Yeah, and, you know, the challenges that that, that one game presents, and, you know, without Debo and the fact that he could be expected back by the playoffs, it seems, though, it's just, you know, it's crazy to think that the most favorable matchup could be against Brady and the Bucks, but you know it sure feels that way if the Cowboys get back to playing their best, which is certainly within reach against the Jaguars next week. All right, let's go ahead and get to some Cowboys birthdays here, Sean. On Monday, Alfred Morris, he turns 34 years old. He is with the Cowboys running back from 2016 to 2017. Man, I remember having such high hopes for Alfred Morris. It was like whatever preseason game he made his debut. It was at AT&T Stadium, and he ran the ball well, and it was going to be a great one-two punch with Elliott. And now, you know, down the line, we finally have that with Elliott and Tony Pollard, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. And, you know, they've really been just great this year, of course. But, yeah, we could have had something similar with uh, – Elliott and Morris, it seemed, but that just never worked out. And it was too scripted, it seemed, when, when Morris would come in the game. What was it? Like every third drive, they pretty much guaranteed it was going to be a Morris drive. So defenses knew what to expect and things like that. But nonetheless, you know, always a great locker room guy, Alfred Morris. There's stories about him still driving, like, the same car that he got in whether it was high school or college or something crazy like that. So, you know, a true professional that started his career being a foreign in the Cowboys side of Washington, of course, and then got to play for the Cowboys, though, and still have a couple good games. And I remember the baseball bat. Uh, touchdown celebration was always fun. So some decent Alfred Morris memories, just kind of the same. It never worked out better than it could have been for him here. My favorite Alfred Morris memory was how fans would say, well, I don't know why they don't let Alfred Morris start. Ezekiel Elliott needs to earn it. 
and they were especially that way after week one when Elliott did nothing in his first game ever. I think Alfred Morris had the Cowboys' lone rushing touchdown. So, yeah, those were fun Alfred Morris memories. Got to love the Alfred Morris throwback. So, running back is one position that the Cowboys. It doesn't matter if you play one snap of 500, like, your name gets remembered. So, you know, certainly Cowboys fans will remember Alfred Morris. He's a pretty known name from playing his whole career in the NFC East. But, like, even, you know, some of these down the roster running backs who have barely played throughout their career, they seem to get immortalized, too, in Dallas just because of their rich history at running back. So, good for Alfred Morris. Yeah, and we're going to have to figure out when exactly the blog and the boys era began. But I'd say it's 2010. In the blogging the boys era, if you played – if you were a – training camp star you will be remembered okay if you're matt johnson um, cowboys legend andy jones or danny i think he's active somewhere or you know what i mean these guys (laughs) in the blog and the boys era they are remembered forever they may as well put them in the ring of honor do you remember rodney co yes (laughs) yeah I had high hopes. He was like a Jason Garrett favorite, apparently, defensive tackle. And, yeah, no, you know, just didn't show any of what he had on his college tape in training camp. But, yeah, high hopes for Rodney Coe because the Cowboys were still in that phase of not really having any size or, you know, much to work with at defensive tackle. And he could have been the answer to that. But now they seem to have, you know, Osho Digizua played well against the Texans. And they've had, it, they've had it figured out. I feel like that's something we haven't talked about enough, by the way, with Dan Quinn is a way that he's just completely turned around positions that, were a problem for years and like we barely blink an eye like I mean there were multiple off seasons of like you know the whole or Thomas thing at safety and everything at safety there were multiple off seasons where the only thing to talk about with the Cowboys is they gotta do more at safety gotta do more at safety we've never had enough at safety and now it's like do we even appreciate that we have Moe Cooker Donovan Wilson and all these and Javon Coast back there you know, we don't, we don't talk about that enough. And then defensive tackles, another spot where it's like, why are they all, why are they so bad here every year? Why can't we get a defensive tackle? Why can't we get a defensive tackle? And then now we, you know, we see guys like Odigizua making plays. So don't take for granted the way that Quinn is uh, turning this defense around and enjoy it while we can. Well, part of the reason is because you actually have a coaching staff that utilizes Will McClay and the personnel department rather than just saying, well, I, I can coach him up. We'll, we'll just coach him oh, up. Yeah. And they bring in Chris Richard, and oh, we'll just coach him up. And then that's what Rod Marimelli did with a defensive line, as evidenced by the next Cowboys birthday on Wednesday. Jeremy Mincy, defensive end, played from 2014 to 2015. He turns 39 years old. But, again, Mincy was a significant contributor on the defensive line because, well, Rod Marinelli can just coach him up. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was going to say about Minchie, just really kind of defined like those, uh, you know, lunch pail type defensive lines for the Cowboys. It was, you know, not really flashy and they didn't have like the speed, speed and bend type of guy coming off the edge. But, you know, they would just line up with four guys who were kind of just hold up against the run and, you know, get there eventually type rushers and, you know, in games against inferior quarterbacks, it worked, but, you know, too many memories of just getting carved apart and those base looks by, you know, the Aaron Rodgers of the world and those playoff games and, of course, the Lambeau game with the Dez catch and not having any pass rush in that game, things like that. So Mincy had his flash plays and, of course, was a tough-nosed player, but just didn't have, you know, the totality of the talent around him. It was a lot of – it was pretty much – 
him and Fuliardo Jeremy Mincy type players always lining up on the line and you know that didn't work out. Yeah, I don't know what the positions are, but I think linebacker might be one of them that you could probably coach up. But defensive like your pass rushers and in your your trenches, you need talent. You don't. You, you can't coach it up. Tom Brady just threw an interception, and Christian McCaffrey capped off the drive for the for 49ers to go up 34 to nothing, extra point pending. I am, I am thoroughly enjoying just the way this game is unfolding because the NFL is ridiculous, and the last pick of the NFL draft is absolutely handing it to Tom Brady's team right now. I mean, if that doesn't tell you that we should just enjoy the fact that we found a way, any way, to win against the Texans, I don't know what can because I mean, this can happen. Any week, and imagine being a Bucks fan right now. <laughs> yeah, well, someone who may have grown up a Bucks fan, but is a Cowboys cornerback now, is Anthony Brown. Uh, Look at these segues. Yeah, he uh, he turns 29 years old. Of course, he's on injured reserve um, with his Achilles, and yeah, 29 years old, and he was born in Tampa. Unfortunately, lost for the season right now, and you know, so this was the first game test for. Kelvin Joseph out there at corner against the Texans. Deron Bland, Israel Makuama came up with the late interception, even though apparently uh, Trevon Diggs told Jane Slater after the game that he's hoping that that interception goes to him because he thinks that it was in his hands. And then in that little pile there, it ended up with Makuama. Of course, the Cowboys will just take you know any result that resulted in an incomplete pass there. And so that's what they got to end the game. But you know, it would be nice to... Uh, See, either of those players got an interception. Diggs to add to his total. And McQuamu, because he hasn't gotten much playing time. With Anthony Brown out, yeah, the Cowboys um, have issues in the secondary. And, you know, Joseph certainly gave up his plays, which I think was expected. So we shouldn't get on him too much for what he gave up. And it just seems to be a recurring problem where the plays he gives up, he's still in phase for and he still gets beat. And that was a problem for Anthony Brown, too. So I don't know what the workaround at that point is. You know, knowing that the ball is going to go away from Diggs, you're just going to have to find a way to try to make those plays and, you know, continue to force contested catches and you'll get the results you want at some point, I guess. But, yeah, Cowboys secondary held up, you know, about as well as we could have asked for. It's just still trying to work through these, you know, work through these injuries and figure out who's going to actually be playing the meaningful snaps down the stretch. But Brown was a player under a lot of heat before his injury. And, you know, I think we can say at this point, though, that, there's more concerns in the secondary without him than there was with him and that he'll be missed in a potential playoff run type of situation. Deron Bland was catching love from the Texans radio play-by-play team, according to Mark Lane from Universe 83. Yeah, I saw you were tweeting. Yeah, were you, you not listening to Sam? Were you, not, were you cheating no, on the Cowboys was, network? No, no, no. I said that was Mark were Lane you cheating from Universe on... 832. Oh, uh, wait. But but still, how did you listen? Were you listening? To- I mean, first, first of all, I had my pick of three, okay? Because Christy Scales, you know, she's with the, the Cowboys Radio Network. Then you got the Texans Radio Network, and then Laura Oakman, who was with uh, doing the doing it for Fox. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had every reason to choose each one of the different broadcasts on Sunday. So you you were flipping back and forth is what you were saying, right? So, um, yeah. So that's what I'm saying is, uh, again, the personnel department, Will McClay, finding these guys, you know, they find buttes, and they, like I said, Deron Bland was catching love as, oh my gosh, you know, 
here's a guy, a rookie that's really balling out. He's a guy in coverage that just doesn't get out of sync. Like, you know, you watch his college tape and he was just always in position. You know, teams would just immediately look away from him, kind of like they do, you know, now with Bland being with the Cowboys to Trayvon Diggs. So that's why the ball is going to find Bland a little bit more now and he'll have to step up and be ready for it. But yeah, he's always in phase, can easily keep throws in front of him. But I thought Kelvin Joseph did that as well in some big spots and had a pass break up there in the fourth quarter. So, you know, secondary-wise, you could be okay. What you do need to see more from to help the secondary is, of course, where the bulk of this talent is on defense and just the way they want to play on defense stylistically is to get after the quarterback and blitz and have the pass rush going. And, you know, the fact that it wasn't more of a factor against the Texans here is concerning. And then our last Cowboys birthday on Friday, Bob Otto played defensive end in 1986. He turns 60 years old, and that's why I chose him was for the funny name, Bob Otto. Yeah, I read that. I'm like, that name seems made up. Hopefully Mark has a cool fact about him or something. No, no, just I picked it for the name because it sounds like Bob Law Blog or whatever. Sacramento. Okay, not even a cool, like, well, maybe. No, no, no. If we, if you ask him, name something about your state, he (laughs) might say, well, it had a gold rush or it's got a Golden Gate Bridge. (laughs) Okay? He wouldn't, he wouldn't identify his state like this. I live in a state where people will get in a literal fist fight. Like they will throw hands at the drop of a hat with anyone over the naming of a breakfast port product. Man, that just warms my heart because it's so true. Like it is just an amazing thing. And I think I've mentioned already here before, but if not, you know, I am uh, traveling home in a couple of weeks for Christmas to be in that area. So I'm really looking forward to that. And, you know, looking forward to having Cowboys football be a part of our Christmas tradition this year as well because they play on Christmas Eve so I'll get to make that part of my trip home as well and hopefully find time for a pork, pork roll sandwich as well but I mean I just can't overstate how true that video is and you know it just it is something that we will defend and I hope every state has something to be that passionate about you know it's almost like the same level of you know dare I say football in Texas uh, it, it is on that level and you know people will uh, defend whichever they want to call it and and all that so that's pretty awesome and uh yeah you know it's something that's been a theme on this show and we've even talked about it with jesse holly former cowboys receiver and it's also from new jersey and things like that so yeah fun to talk about things that are you know part of like not only sports culture but just the culture in the way you come up and how that changes things and you know whichever side of the street you fall on for what you call it you can be right or wrong and if it's pork roll you're right and if you call it taylor ham well you're wrong yeah, we're still working on trying to find a place in Ohio for the pork roll sandwich. And uh, you you let me know where I should try next here in Ohio. Hey, why don't you just come to why don't you just come to Jersey when I'm gonna be there in a couple of weeks and we'll do it we'll do it the right way. Boy, I'd love to. We gotta make that happen. Uh, if not, we'll still we'll still meet up in Dallas, I guess. But all right, you can follow Sean at Sean Martin NFL. Follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. And um, f- subscribe to the Hidden Yardage podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. So there it is. Mm-hmm.